So we're in a series, uh, we're journeying through the book of Acts. If you're new around here, we started at the beginning of the year uh, going through the book of Acts. We said, hey, this year we're going to study the book of Acts. Um, I think we said we're going to study the book of Acts. We didn't say we were going to finish the book of Acts um, because we, we've been doing this since January. We're in chapter two, okay? And we got stuck at verse 14 and um, we got stuck a lot of places actually, but we, we got stuck most recently in verse 14 on these two words, but Peter. And what we've been just uh, kind of reveling in over the last couple of weeks is how incredible it is that it is Peter who is preaching on opening day. I mean, Peter messed up a lot. And when God looks out and says, okay, who do I want to preach the very first day of my church? He picks Peter, Peter of all people. And so over the last few weeks, we've been, we've been talking about the traits that were in Peter that allowed him to be the guy who gets to preach on opening day. Today, we're going to make great progress. We're going to move past the words, but Peter, and look at the rest of the sentence, okay? And, uh, and see what it says in there. Um, and let me read it to you. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice. And what I want to talk about today is what it means to stand. And what it means to stand with the 11. And what it means to stand with the 11 and to use the opportunity to stand to lift your voice. Because followers of Christ and the church needs need to stand. And when we stand, we need to make sure that we lift our voices, not run in fear. So I want to look at this this morning, and then we'll end in Ephesians chapter 6 and see what God would have for us. I love golf outings. And so if you run a nonprofit and you need money, just throw a golf outing. I will be there, okay? And a couple weeks ago, I was playing in the Because of Logan golf outing. And as I was there, what, what happened there is what happens at every single golf outing. And that is before the outing, uh, every team is kind of walking around and asks one question. And the question is this, who are you playing with? And nobody actually ever answers the question. They always say something like this, well, we're just here for fun. Or uh, they, they say, well, yeah, I brought a ringer and I really want to win. Or in my case, I always say, I'm the worst player on my team, which means this should get good, right? Like we, we, I, I came to win today, right? Um, or you say something like, uh, yeah, you know, we're just a group of friends, right? You, you, you try to preface before you answer the question, um, you know, some kind of preface, uh, you know, so that when you actually get to the, the point of answering that they already know why you assembled the team that you assembled. Now, certain times you go to a golf outing and you go with a team assembled in order to win. And then, because you know that the second question is going to happen. And this is the second question that happens at every single golf outing. You get done, everybody's waiting in line for dinner, and you go, how'd you do? Or what'd you shoot? And no one answers this question. <laughs> they always started with the preface. They go, well, we missed a few pots. Or we just couldn't get off the tee today, or um, our short game was, was a little rough, or uh, so-and-so didn't bring his A game today, right? And, and then you preface the answer to the question, and then at some point in time, you actually answer the question. Now, how happy you are when you're answering the question is typically based upon what your expectations were at the beginning with the team that you brought. And so if you brought a team and you go, man, we got to seven under, right? And our team was like a three under team. We played beyond expectations. But if you came to win and you shot a seven under, then your preface is really long and you have all of these excuses on why you didn't do it. 
You know that these two questions are always going to be asked at a golf outing. Who are you playing with and how did you do? These questions correlate in a way to our lives. And the question I want to ask today is this, who are you standing with? Who are you standing with? Because who you stand with will directly affect the outcome to the next question, to the second question that will be asked at the end of days, which is when the father looks and says, hey, what'd you do for my kingdom? And we will all get asked that question. And there was a, uh, a little story, I believe it's in Matthew 25, where somebody asked, uh, where Jesus asked the question at the end of days that is going to be asked. And what everyone does is they try to give a little bit of a preface for it. They try to make some excuses for their way they handled their life. And he says, no, I'm not really interested in your excuses. The, the question that will be asked of all, what'd you do for my kingdom? And we're all looking for the same answer. Jesus told us what the answer is, didn't he? What is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want him to say to us when we explain what we did with what he gave us. Well done, good and faithful servant. But who you're playing with or who you're standing with will dictate in many ways the answer to the second question. And so today I want to talk about who you're standing with. But before I talk about who you're standing with, we've got to talk about what does it even mean to stand because right here it tells us this, but Peter standing with the 11. Now let's set up the context of the moment here because sometimes it's easy to stand. Like right now, uh, uh, or a couple minutes ago, when, when, when we're here and we're in church and we're all together and we're worshiping Jesus and I say, hey, let's stand and sing. Like nobody looks back at me with fierceness in their eyes. No, I'm not standing. Everyone pretty much stands. But it's not always that easy to stand. In that particular moment, Peter was facing a crowd of probably tens of thousands. We know that because 3,000 of them are going to come uh, and, and be converted to Christ. We know that because historically speaking, that at these gatherings, the Jews were gathered from the nations of the world and they were gathered there to celebrate their religion. And here's what we knew about their religion that their religion 53 days or so prior to this particular moment had crucified Jesus. And so there the crowd was gathered and the crowd was uh, um, strongly antagonistic to the things of the gospel. And the crowd in the thousands was gathered and it is to that particular crowd that Peter is going to stand up in front of. This was not preaching to the choir. This was not preaching to a passive crowd. See, the first element of standing is deciding when will you stand? Or said another way, when will you not stand? When will you move from the, the back to the front? When will you bring up what you have not wanted to bring up, when will you stand? And when or will you stand in the midst of opposition? I really want to try and set the tension of the moment because this was not a peaceful moment. For Peter to stand right now is not like me standing up in front of y'all. Let's imagine 
if we could. Let's imagine that there was festivals today, parades today, something like that, where many people, thousands of people would gather in celebration of something that was strikingly against the scriptures. Can anyone put themselves, maybe think if that exists? Okay. So imagine there was an environment and, and, and thousands of people were gathered and they were there and they were there to lift up and to elevate something contrary to the scriptures and you found yourself there and you found yourself there with 11 of your friends and if you're trying to understand the importance of why the 11 were standing with them, what that is saying is that the church was standing in full unity. That's what that means, standing with the 11. It means the church standing in full unity, Okay. And, uh, and by the way, when, when, when Peter, I'm going to hop back and forth between the hypothetical situa- situation that we're creating and the one in the scriptures. When Peter decided to stand, I just want you to know, there was no realistic human reason to think that when he stood and he began to speak, that what he was about to say was going to have good results. There really wasn't a church convert yet. The last person to stand got murdered, Jesus. And so when Peter decided to stand, he stood with no earthly, human, historical reason to believe that anything he was about to speak was going to have a positive impact. In fact, based on history, the only thing he could assume when he stood was that he was going to get killed. And he stood. And by the way, Peter wasn't always a stander. 53 days prior to this moment, Peter was the complete opposite of a stander. He was a runner. In fact, uh, on the night when Jesus got uh, uh, arrested, uh, Peter, uh, he, he, he refused to stand three times, actually. And, and one time, Peter cowered to a 14-year-old-ish serving girl. I mean, he wouldn't even stand up to her. And now, here he is, looking at what could conceivably be the most antagonistic crowd ever gathered against the name of Jesus. And there he is, looking out at the crowd. And Peter, the one who used to refuse to stand, looks out and goes, I guess I'll stand. And he stands up. And the 11. See Peter kind of stand up and he goes, I think they went, okay. We're going to stand too. You want to stand with the people who will stand with you when there is no earthly reason to think that you're going to succeed. You want to stand with the people who will stand with you in the face of great opposition and danger. You want to stand with the people who stand with you because they believe what you're standing for before you've seen the nice results on the other side. It's really easy to stand with people after you've seen incredible success. Oh yeah, I want to go stand with them. Yeah, I want to go stand with them. I want to stand with them. 
The 11, they took a step forward with Peter thinking, okay, the moment I stand next to Peter, I'm going to receive the same treatment as Peter. When he lifts his voice, it's like I'm lifting up my voice with them. And even though Peter's the only one who's actually going to lift his voice by standing with them, I'm saying, Peter, I'm with you. And whatever you say and whatever happens to you, I'm willing for it to happen to me. That's what happened when those 11 stood with Peter. Who are you standing with, right? And so Peter stands up and he's faced out to that crowd of incredible opposition. And the reason that the crowd even looked at Peter is because the Holy Spirit created a moment. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Holy Spirit has this way of creating these moments, right, where uh, he grabs the attention of the masses and the crowd. And the question is then, when the Holy Spirit creates those moments, will the church stand or not? Will the church stand? When the crowd looks and turns and the first question is, will they stand? The second question is, will the church lift its voice? Yes or no? Will you? First, will you stand? Second, will you lift your voice or not? Or cower? And so, Peter, again, I'm, I'm just going to keep going through this scenario. He looks out. He sees the whole crowd. The whole crowd is there. The Holy Spirit creates this moment. Peter decides to stand up, and then Peter is going to lift his voice. Peter is there. He's looking out, and again, let me just talk about the crowd. The crowd is there to celebrate, and the crowd is there to champion everything that is against what Peter is about to say. That's why they're ga they've gathered. Earlier, I created that little scenario because I wanted us to understand the tension of the particular moment. And I was creating this environment. Some of you probably understood where I was going with that, right? Yeah, okay, got it. Okay, good, all right. Let's imagine you're at a pride parade. Okay, there we go, all right. And you're, you're there and, and something happens and there's thousands that are gathered and, and all of a sudden, uh, everything stopped and they all look at you, everybody. And you're, and you're there with your 11 buddies, right? And, uh, and everyone looks at you and you go, thanks for all of your attention. I'd like to read Romans 1. If you're laughing, you know what Romans 1 says. If you're not, you don't know what Romans 1 says. Or maybe you're just too afraid to stand. Right? And he goes, hold on, let me, let me talk to you. Let me read Romans 1. Because what Peter's going to do, by the way, oh, and by the way, here's the modern church. And this is the modern language of Christians, okay, is this. Now's not the time to stand. Now's not the time to stand. Just let people be themselves. Let people believe what they want to believe. Who are we to tell them that they're wrong? By the way, we're not telling people they're wrong. Okay, it's never, it's... You don't have to. He did. Okay. Now's not the time to stand. Now's not the time to, uh, to believe in something. Or, or this, here's another modern line. Um, you look out at people and you go, but it's okay because their, their heart is in the right place. Okay, let me, let me tell you about why people sin. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. 
The scriptures do not teach us that our hearts are good and need a little bit of correction. The heart... The scriptures do not teach us that our hearts are good and sometimes we just get a little bit confused. Can I tell you something too? The church, uh, people have not rejected God because Christians are mean. People have rejected God because they hate him. That's why people reject God. People reject God because they don't believe him. You know how I know this? Because in the beginning, in the garden, the first lie was, yeah, did God really say? And today, the same lie is, did God really say? And why people reject God is because they don't believe him. Not because, uh, not because they're generally good and, uh, and, and they've just gotten a little confused. They don't need, like, um, 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 <clears throat> let me say it this way. Peter, Peter, if you were a modern preacher or a modern church or a modern Christian, if you were falling into the modern lie, would have looked at that particular moment and said, hey guys, I just want you to know that we love you. Enjoy the festivities. My friends and I are going to leave. And if any of you ever think to yourselves someday, oh, I wonder if there's something different in life, we'll be over here serving coffee. And it's free. <laughs> By the way, if you're in your head, you're like, Stephen, why do you always say this stuff? Um, I, wanna, I just want to paint a little bit of a picture real quick. Even if you're here today and you vehemently disagree with me, I just want you to know that I love you enough to stand for what I believe is the actual truth. And I will tell you this. Real quick, I'll tell you this. The Christian that refuses to stand for truth in the basis of love has refused to actually love you. Because sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Christians believe the Bible. There's a whole world of people who don't believe the Bible. You know what they're called? Non-Christians. Our job is to believe the Bible and to believe the word of God and to proclaim it as the way, the truth, and the life. Peter the same guy who stood here had no problem later in 1 Peter, his letter telling people, calling them out, convicting them, telling them that they're wrong, and then three sentences later say, and keep on loving people. Peter, in his own letter, because the Holy Spirit's smart, made the connection between standing for truth and that being love. In the midst of this then, Right? In the midst of, by the way, that means this. If you are here today and you vehemently disagree with me, the good thing about you being here today is, is that you might get to hear something that can actually change your life. As opposed to all of the lies that don't. Now, Peter made, the, made this decision that he was going to stand 
okay? And so he looks out, and instead of using that moment to run and to cower and to hide, to not stand, Peter stands, and he's standing with the 11. All 11 of them are gathered together. The whole church, it's supposed to be a picture of church unity, and what does Peter decide to do? He doesn't run like he did uh, at the beginning, okay? He doesn't water anything down. He, he, he doesn't try to soften the blow. Instead, what Peter does is he stands up, and he looks at the crowd and he just wants this and he says this I'm paraphrasing he says hey guys I know you're here and you're gathered in your religion you're gathered in what is your truth right and you think you understand everything and I understand you guys have some good things and the community that you experience is really beautiful and I think it's really awesome and all of this kind of stuff and you do some good things for society and everything like that um but I need to tell you something you're dead wrong in fact you're so wrong that the truth was in front of you. And you know what you did? You killed it. And you know what the punishment of that killing is? Death and separation from him forever. But I have good news. He's really kind and he's really loving and he wants to rescue you from it. And so Peter gets up in his opportunity to stand and he just lays out the clearest, simplest, most socially unacceptable gospel that he could have possibly proclaimed in that moment. That's what he did in his moment to stand. He lifted up his voice. I think the drumbeat of the church for the last 25 years has been, maybe if we sit down instead of stand up, people will come sit with us and we can convince them on the necessity of standing. What? Did you catch that? It's like, hey, we don't want to stand because we don't actually believe that the gospel can change lives. But you can come sit over here with us and then we'll talk. And then eventually as we get through our book, what we'll do is we'll talk about the importance of standing. And they'd be like, well, why didn't you just stand in the first place if you really believed? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Let me ask this question. As the church has taken the route of sitting instead of standing, have things gotten better or worse? I'll use a word. Have things progressed well or worse? We in a better spot or a worse spot? Come on. Let me say it this way. Where the church refuses to stand, nobody in the crowd will ever bow before Jesus. Remember. Ever. And we've tried to almost create this environment where, where we, we think we can like trick people into Jesus. And Peter told us a really good way to trick people into Jesus. Preach the gospel. Preach it in its fullness. Let the Holy Spirit change a heart. Let the Holy Spirit change a life. Let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Listen. It is the Holy Spirit's job to change people. It is our job to stand. And when we stand, then to lift our voices. 
And there's something that begins to happen because we see it right here in, uh, in Acts chapter 2 that when, when Peter stands, the 11 say, I'm going to stand with you. And so these previous sitters are now standers as well. And they have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, but they're like, man, Peter stood and I'm going to stand and we're going to stand together. And when they stood with Peter, it's like they were saying, Peter, if this doesn't work, I'm still standing with you. If nobody turns to Christ, I'm still standing with you. I have such a deep conviction, Peter, the same deep conviction that you have that regardless of the results, we're just still going to stand up. And friends, we can't guarantee results, but we can dictate whether or not we're willing to stand. You can. And when I say stand, by the way, let me give you just a couple of ideas of what I mean by stand. Um, one thing I mean by stand is this. In your personal conversations, learn how to stand up. Because I guarantee you at some point in time in the next week, if you know anyone who doesn't know Jesus, you're going to hear something like this. Well, from my perspective, the truth that I understand, something, some preface like that, and then an explanation of things that are contrary to Scripture. And here's what you don't need to do. You don't need to beat them up. You don't need to hit them. Okay? That's not going to help. Oh, but in that moment, you, <laughs> you can lay out the only actual truth that matters. See, I'm not concerned about my truth or your truth. I'm concerned about God's truth. I'm concerned about the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Let me just say it this way. If Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's also saying is your truth is not the way, it is not the truth, and it is not life. That's what he's saying. And so you can either believe in the way, the truth, and the life, or you can believe in your own. And I'll tell you where it leads. Death. Death. Oh, and so what does the church get to do? The church gets to, in the face of opposition, take the step up when the Holy Spirit provides these little moments. And you get these little moments when the Holy Spirit provides something because you're in a work conversation or you're in a social conversation or you're something. And that's like the Holy Spirit creating a moment, just like in Acts chapter 2, when eyes turn to you and you go, well, I appreciate your truth. I don't have one. I just believe God's, and here's what it says. That's standing. It's standing. By the way, isn't it interesting that most of the time, the people that we want to, we refuse to stand up to, are the people that are the most confused and most hurting? You following me? Oftentimes, it is people who are going through the toughest times, the hardest times, the craziest of times, the, 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 the most confused, they're, they're struggling the most with their identity, they're in their darkest moments, and, uh, and they turn to us to go, well, what do you think? And instead of telling them and standing up and telling them the one thing that can help, we try to actually like step ourselves into their situation and try to lift up merit to what brought them there in the first place. You follow me? Instead of saying, okay, listen, your way brought you there. Let me tell you about a better way. 
Peter gets up and he goes, hey guys, your way, you guys killed the thing you've been looking for for 2,000 years. Great job. I don't know if Peter was that, you know, whatever. He says, let me tell you about a better way. You killed him. But guess what? Death couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave and now he's coming to rescue you. And he still wants you. He still loves you. He's still coming after you. And you know how much he wants to come after you? You know how much he loves you? He created this entire thing called the church that he's still going to be in charge of. And he sent his Holy Spirit to come down and empower to take a whole bunch of ridiculous former sitters like Peter and the 11 and to empower them so that in the tough moments of life when the eyes turn, they can go, I'll stand and proclaim the truth of the gospel. And this is what the church is supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. So step one, first way to stand, stand in your own personal life. Stand up when you have the moment. And I will pray and we will pray at the end for the Holy Spirit to let you know how to do that. Number two, second way, uh, when I say, what does it mean to stand? Um, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. So let me just, dads, let me talk to you for a second. Stand up for your family. Because the enemy wants to destroy it. And more than ever before, right? And we say this all the time, but it's just increasingly becoming true right now, right? The enemy is attacking families and is attacking fatherhood and is attacking uh, um, uh, the, the entire system that he created on how to um, uh, raise godly children and how to um, um, perpetuate the name of Christ through the family unit. And listen, I'm not here today to, to talk about anything that's in the past because the past is the past and God's grace has covered that. And so let's just move on from that and let's step into the current moment. And I would say this, fathers, stand up. Stand up. Stand up for your kids. And I don't mean bully your kid's teacher because they got a B instead of an A. They probably deserve the B. I'm not saying bully your kids whatever else because they didn't treat them exactly the way you thought they should be treated. I'm saying this, that when lies, when schemes of the enemy, when indoctrination begins to filter into their minds, filter into their hearts, stand up and put an end to it. Or at least tell them, hey, just so you know, that's a lie. We don't believe that. You don't need to believe that. You say, oh, well, our kids are supposed to be missionaries. Yeah, they are when they're trained and ready to go. Okay? That's when. And in the meantime, you are the guardian. You're the guardian. Guard the mind. Guard the heart. Guard your daughter. Guard your son. Guard them. Be the guardian of truth. But you're not going to get it sitting down on the job. Stand up. Fight for him. Stand up for him. Protect and preserve. We're going to talk a little bit later here in what the enemy is up to. But when I say stand, I mean, I mean it's Father's Day. So dad, stand up, man. I mean, in our house, like, and I certainly, when I say stuff like this, like, I'm not saying everyone's got to do this stuff. But we got to this point where, and, and listen, I, I, I like the Lion King just as much as anybody, okay? Kuna Matata, right? Which is actually a horrible phrase, and doctrinally, I don't really, just kidding. Okay. Um, but man, I mean, it was June, finally did it, right? 
I mean, we're just looking at, you know, kid shows, okay? And, 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 and seeing in June, right, all of the kids' shows and what they're trying to teach my four-year-old, right? And so I'm just driving home one day, and we're already on the same page, and Lindsay texted me. She's like, I can't take it anymore. I canceled it. I said, okay, we're good, right? Listen, listen. And I'm not saying y'all have to go home and do that because like, I get it, you can control in, in many different ways, okay? Like, you know, and I'm still wondering how I'm gonna watch um, Toy Story, right? Okay, but I'll give up Toy Story for my daughter's heart, okay? And you know what? It took a week for her to think that Larry Boy was cooler than Buzz. A week, okay? Because, by the way, when, when you, and, 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 have you watched your children? Like when they start going down a path, their minds pick it up and their hearts go that direction. My daughter's four. I can come home and know if she's watched Barbie. Okay. Reagan, we, this last week, Lindsay and I did what all good parents and all good pastors do. We sent our daughter to another church's VBS for free babysitting, okay? <laughs> Amen, right? There's, there should be a list somewhere, okay? I will give you money, right? So like, we, we, sent, uh, we sent Reagan to, to Monclova's VBS, and Monclova Baptist, and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm like walking in there with Reagan. I can see there's certain people like, like you know, what, not that I'm like a slob or anything, but they know who I am just because of church things or whatever. They're kind of looking at me like, what is he doing here? I'm like, don't worry about this. Take my daughter. I'll be back in three hours. I'm going out to eat. See ya, okay? <laughs> All right. Good talk, right? And listen, there's an obvious reciprocation. You drop your kid off. I'm not going to look. All right? Just drop him and leave, okay? Now, um, and after, you know, we get home and, and Reagan is, is singing a song that like I was reminded of that, that she learned at VBS because they did an awesome job, right? Parents, pull out your calendar. That's free daycare next year. You should send her to that one, okay, or him. Now, she's singing this song and I thought it was interesting because it reminded me of what happens when, uh, when, when people start standing together in the name of Christ. And so Reagan was running around and she was singing, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And I'm sitting there like listening. I'm like, oh yeah, words of, words of babes, right? My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And it was starting to speak to me until Reagan changed the lyrics. So anyway, in our house for the last week, it's been Reagan's version. She is the lyricist of her father and the vocalist of her mother. That girl's going to be a rapping star, okay? <laughs> now, she, she, she was running around, she's like, my butt is so big, so strong and so mighty. There is nothing that my butt cannot do. It's like, Reagan, where did you learn that? And Danae is fired. And, oh, that's our kid's pastor. Um, anyway, we played a little piano version to it. We were having some fun. Yeah. Um, my God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There is nothing that my God cannot do. And let me tell you this, when you begin to stand, the enemy will want to force you to sit down. When you begin to stand up in your conversations, he will want to sit you down. 
When you begin to stand up for your children, he will want to sit you down. When we as a church, number three, when we begin to stand for truth, he will want to sit us down. Number four way that we need to stand is to get more aggressive, more, uh, um, more focused on standing up for the lost than we ever have before because if we don't, nobody else will. Imagine what Peter... Peter, right, like he's in the crowd right there. The crowd is there. Um, they're gathered in opposition to Christ. They are a picture of a world in absolute need. And imagine had Peter followed the thinking of the day and stood up and went, well, it's not exactly the time for me to stand, and so I'll try. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again another time. You can come find us. No, Peter was there. He took that moment to stand up, and 3,000 people came to Christ who would have never come to Christ if Peter wouldn't have stood let me say it this way. Your not standing has never brought anyone to Jesus. Your not standing doesn't communicate the gospel. And how can they be saved unless they hear? And how can they hear unless somebody speak it? And how can someone speak it unless someone stand in there? Right. And when you and I begin to stand... The enemy will want us to not stand. And so later, Paul, Paul, who I, I told you guys this before, I'm pretty sure Paul, like he should have been there. He was probably there on the day of Pentecost. And so when all eyes turned to Paul, right, Paul, uh, uh, or when all eyes turned to Peter and Peter stood up to start talking, Saul, who was, Paul, who was Saul, he would have been there because he was a good Jew and all good Jews were there, right? And so he's listening in on the first day and it didn't cut to his heart, right? God had to get him later. But years later, Paul is reflecting on what the church needs to do and he writes these words in Ephesians 6. You can turn to Ephesians 6 if you want. Now some of y'all are like, I remember when Josh only preached for 30 minutes. I hope you enjoyed it. It was great. It was great. I told you, I got three weeks in me, okay? This is what he says. Ah, okay. Have you read Ephesians? It is so good. It is full of doctrine, incredible doctrine. It's like Paul took Romans and said, okay, there's some people out there who don't like to read spark notes, Ephesians, okay? That's what he did. And then he said, okay, I'll take all of the practical stuff, I'll jam it into three chapters, okay? And then at the end of it, he goes, this is what he says. I mean, this is what he says at the end of Ephesians after this incredible letter. He goes, finally, finally, finally. In other words, let me take all of the doctrine that I've just taught you. Let me take all of the practical advice on how to live life that I've just laid out for you. And before I move on, before I wrap up this letter, I need you to know church from that church and church for all of time, right? That finally, that, that like everything I've said will come to naught. It will not matter a bit unless this. Unless this. Finally. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And Paul would not tell you to be strong and he would not tell you to, to rest in, in the Lord's might unless he was gearing you up for a fight. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I know some of you are thinking of that verse right now. You're like, yes, when I am weak, he is strong. That's not what the verse says. It says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because the point of Christianity is not for you to be weak. The point of view is for you to know how to be strong and your strength comes through your humility. 
not your pride. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He's gearing the church up for a fight. He's saying this, put on the whole armor of God. Put on all of it. Dress it all up. Because all of your doctrine and all of your gathering and all of your practical advice will disappear in a second by the attacks of the enemy if you don't suit up. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, you don't know, stand. Stand. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And let me tell you about the devil. He is very schemy. Indoctrinating children. Schemy. Making us believe that lies are truths. Schemy. Making us believe, right? And, uh, and, and when people begin to stand, here's what the enemy does. He gets down in the crowd and he starts whispering things like this. This is what he's whispering today. Oh, they're just fanatics. Don't worry about them. They're just outdated. Don't worry about that. Oh, they just don't understand the cultural context of it. Don't worry about it. Oh, listen what he's saying, but don't worry about it. You just be you. And the schemy one uses voices in the crowd, even when people begin to stand to continue to spread his lies. He's scheming. And guess what? Some of us have fallen prey to it. And some of you are like, why are you yelling? Here's why I'm yelling. Some of y'all have been listening to sermons for 25 years, and you're still sitting. So I just figured I'd try something new. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I just told you about a couple of them. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, 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 evil in the heavenly places. Paul is reminding us there is good and there is bad. There is right and there is wrong. There is righteousness and there is sinfulness and the enemy wants us to convolute them and to confuse them and to mix them all up into one and then he wants the church to not stand when it's supposed to stand and to stand the wrong ways when it's not supposed to and confuse everything and confuse us and the confused church is why we're at where we're at today so let's clear up the confusion stand paul is saying Stand against this. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Saying, stand there and don't move. Stand firm. 
And, and, and you're wavering in the wind. Well, maybe, or this, or that, or okay, or I see your perspective, or understand all of these little things that we do. Like when we're asked, who are you playing with? And you preface every question. The prefacing isn't necessary. Stand firm. Stand firm. He says, you will not stand firm unless you are suited up. You will fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to believers. And he just gave them some of the best doctrine in the entire scripture. And he says, you can understand all of the doctrine and all of the practice that I've just given you. But if you don't suit up, you will fall. So stand firm. Stand firm in it. Why? Why stand firm in it? Because every conversation, every conversation where the things of God begin to get destroyed in intellectual thought and conversation is like the moment when the world and the crowd look to Peter and it is your moment now in the power of the Holy Spirit to go, I'm gonna stand. Because every time the world turns its eyes on attacking our children, perverting and corrupting, indoctrinating and destroying is an opportunity for you and the church to go, we're going to take a stand. And every time the, the either spoken or unspoken pressure that begins to formulate around the church, I mean the church in general or us in particular, to, to, to just quiet down, to cower, to hide, is an opportunity for us to step up and say, nope, we're going to stand. And let's just make today a time where as a church we just decide more aggressive than we have ever been before. And I will use the word aggressive because here's what I mean by aggressive. I don't mean angry. And some of you are like, yo, you sound angry. Okay. Um, who's the crowd? The crowd here today is the church. Okay. I'm not angry at them. If I'm angry at anything, I'm angry at us. And I'm just saying, guys, I'm not even angry. I'm just excited. Okay, I've been sitting in my house for two weeks. Come on. <laughs> now I'm just saying it's time, it's time to take a stand. Why? All of the Holy Spirit power in Acts. All of the fact that Christ had resurrected and it started circulating through everything, all of that stuff, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. Guess what? Not a person was one to Christ until the church stood and proclaimed the gospel. That's when conversions entered in. And so friends, we can have conversations around Holy Spirit power and we can have conversations around how the Holy Spirit works and we can have conversations around all of these other things and, and everything like that. But in the end, all of that is supposed to lead to one thing and that is Christians and the church in unity standing and presenting the truth of the gospel. And so when I say let's be more aggressive than ever, I'm just saying, why don't we, more than we ever have before, just realize that as a church, it is our time to stand See, I think that we, for even the last year and a half, and I'm just kind of, for those of you who are newish right now, I think for about the last year and a half, we have had kind of almost like a pre-Pentecostal moment for the last year and a half. 
And God has been like kind of gathering us up together and, uh, and we've had these moments. He's been kind of gathering us up bit in an upper room and people have been popping in from here and popping in from there, popping in from all over the place. And it's been our time to kind of hang out together and we've prayed together and uh, God's done some incredible work in people's hearts, right? But then there comes a moment in the midst of that where even as a church, we have to go, okay, hold on. Now it's time to stand. Now it's time to go and to bring the gospel to the world that needs it. I'm not saying we haven't been done that, but I'm saying more than ever, we got to have eyes to say, there's a world that needs it, and there's an enemy who has schemes, but we have a defense against those schemes. And we have the unity and the power of the church, the church family, to stand up and to proclaim the gospel. So, will you stand? Seriously, let's stand up. And let's pray our way out of here today. Father, I want to pray first for each individual in here that given the opportunity, they would stand. That when the eyes of the crowd turn to them by the power of your Holy Spirit, they would know exactly how to stand. Through fear and opposition, in love and grace, to stand for truth. Father, I pray for each father in here called to stand up for his family, children, spouse, and the unit as a whole. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would continue to always stand. And Father, I pray that you would as a church equip us, empower us, and release us more than ever, to know exactly how to bring the gospel to the crowd and the world that needs it. And Father, I end thinking about what Paul would later write in Romans, that we stand in grace. We don't stand in our own strength. We don't stand in our own power. We don't stand in anything other than the grace of which Christ has poured out on us. We have access to that grace and we stand in that grace. And so even as we continue to stand and as we walk out now as standers, may we do it empowered by, surrounded by, covered by your grace. Oh, because that grace is affectious. It breaks down walls. It pours, one scripture says, the, the love of Christ into people's hearts. And so may we stand in that grace but that grace is only there when we're standing. <laughs> and so help us to stand. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.